So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, A couple of weeks ago at the, the circuit pastors meeting, Pastor Schrader, brother pastor from down in Lexington, was telling us about a Uh, A young man he's introducing to the faith, a smart guy, got a couple college degrees, I think he said, um, but someone who is completely uh, oblivious uh, to the the Christian faith, the Bible, history, and stuff like that. Um, So he was a little bit surprised, Pastor Schrader says, when he mentioned Martin Luther, and the guy uh, perked up and said, oh, I know about Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, he's the guy who used to go around nailing Bibles to people's doors. We then chuckled like that and collectively lamented the state of, uh, of history education in our, in our country. Uh, it could be a little worse, or at least a similar, I imagine. I had a, a not dissimilar conversation with someone at my, uh, near where I lived previously up in, in New England. Um, I told him I was a, a Lutheran pastor, and we, we kept talking, and it became uh, fairly clear in the, in the process of the conversation that he thought I pastored a, a church of a bunch of people um, from the Baltic region of the former Soviet Union. And then I had to explain to him that though Lutheran and Lithuanian <laughs> uh, sound a lot alike, there is indeed not a country of Lutherania, um, and, and that uh, Lutheran is actually named after this 16th century fellow, uh, Martin Luther. Uh, Well, today we we celebrate that guy a little bit, Reformation Sunday, as the Sunday before Reformation Day, October 31st, the day in 1517, when Martin Luther nailed not Bibles, but his famous 95 theses, uh, not to people's doors, but to the door of the the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, thus sparking what we call the the Lutheran Reformation. Uh, Of course, that's a bit of history that uh, most of you probably already know. It's something that that Pastor Schrader probably told uh, his his student. And I don't remember exactly, but it may have been something uh, that I said to the guy who thought we were all from that little country next to Latvia. (laughs) But if you didn't know the history, or if you came across someone uh, to whom you wanted to to teach it, you you could do worse than suggesting to them uh, a movie. Uh, Some of you may have seen the the 2003 uh, Martin Luther movie with uh, uh, Ralph Fiennes, I think. I get the Fiennes brothers mixed up. Um, But I'm actually thinking of the one that came out some 50 years before that, in 1953, starring Niles McGuinness. Uh, the cinematography uh, of that version is not quite up to 21st century uh, snuff, um, but in its day, it, it was quite the hit. It, it garnered a rave reviews from all over the place. It, uh, it got a couple of Oscar nominations, if you can imagine that. And in addition to it being now available for free, you can download it online from the Internet Archive, uh, it also has going for it that the production team of that movie included a couple of the best-known Lutheran theologians of the, of the 20th century. I watched it for about the 15th time this past week. The movie begins with a picture of that 16th century guy, Augustinian monk, Martin Luther, 
who is absolutely trapped. He is he's trapped by his by his sins. He's a guy with the uh, the liveliest conscience imaginable and his sins. Everything he's ever done, everything he's left undone, live constantly before him. As a result of that, his life is a is a figural hell because he's certain that he's going to real eternal hell. How can I ever live up to all the demands? And he tries. He tries repenting and, and confessing to his sins and ever longer confessions to his superior, this guy named Staupitz. But, but he, he, he's, never, he's never sure that he's done enough. His repentance, he knows it's half-hearted, and he's sure he's forgotten a bunch of sins, so he assumes that it just makes God angrier and angrier. So he tries beating his sin out of himself and starving the sin out of himself. The movie shows this emaciated, exhausted Luther, exhausted from his self-administered whippings. He goes on pilgrimages to Rome, longer and longer and longer confessions, all the stuff which is supposed to show how sorry he is or to somehow make him feel less terrified, I guess. Less trapped. Like he'd done enough, but still trapped. And he knows it. It's about the first 20 minutes of the movie. In our gospel lesson for today, we come across some people who are are like Luther in one way, uh, but unlike him in another. Like him, they are also trapped, but unlike him, they don't know it. (laughs) Jesus comes to, to him with those beautiful words, some of the, the most beautiful in, in God, John's gospel. It says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But instead of hearing those as beautiful words, they, they hear them as downright offensive. What you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> free? We're already Free? Children of Abraham for crying out loud, free. What do you think? We're trapped or something? Set us free. Who do you think you are? Free as can be, we are. Because the one thing they are not free to do is to be free to not hate Jesus. They're trapped in their hatred. What about you? Are you free? Or are you trapped? I suppose it depends, right, on what I mean. I mean, you might respond and say, well, you know, as a, as a middle-class American with a little money in the bank, which means I can kind of do stuff, uh, I guess I'm pretty darn free. If you got a libertarian streak in you, you might, uh, you, you might not like uh, this limitation or that one that the government sticks on you, but you say I might do without that. But, but hey, it's better than pre-1990 Lithuania, right? <laughs> free enough. Someone comes to you and says, I'm going to set you free. You say, hey, no handcuffs here. But on the other hand, perhaps trapped too. You might be trapped in just the way that that Luther is of that 1953 movie, Trapped by Your Sins. You might be trapped by an unundoable past full of decisions you cannot fix that still haunt you. You might be trapped by your guilt, I have done wrong, or worse, trapped by your shame, I am wrong. Maybe trapped exactly like Luther, absolutely terrified by a debt of sin before this righteous God, 
that you can never be sorry enough, never confess enough, never do enough to pay off, to spring the trap. You might feel trapped like that. But maybe in a different way. There, there, there are people, probably all of us once in a while, who still feel and experience uh, that Luther-like dread, the, 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 the squeezing terror of not being enough before God. But these days, for a lot, there's a good chance that the trapping takes on, well, different trappings. Instead of trying to prove yourself before God, you're all tangled up trying to prove yourself before, well, whom? How about before the family down the street whose kids are always so darn polite and not just because you threatened to take away their phones? <laughs> or maybe trapped trying to prove yourself before the 2,000 Facebook friends you have who are all obviously enjoying life a lot more than you are. Or maybe you feel trapped trying to prove yourself uh, uh, before the, the skinny girl in fourth period geometry with perfect skin. Or trapped trying to prove yourself before whatever screams at you, you are not enough. And whomever you care what they think about you, even though you want to not care what they think about you, but you can't stop because you're trapped. Now, you might think that I've made a a terrible non sequitur here. You might be thinking to yourself, what in the world does a a 16th century monk beating the heck out of himself have to do with you and your kids scrolling endlessly through Facebook and and Snapchat? Well, the answer is this enoughness. This having to prove yourself, the search for approval. In our epistle lesson, Paul uses this great word, justify. It's one of his favorites, and Luther and Lutherans love him for it. And the idea behind it is this idea of proving or or approval. And Paul's insight is this, is that we broken, sinful, insecure human beings are absolutely trapped in our pursuit of approval before God and or one another. And we literally have no choice in the matter. We must justify our existence, get the approval, the enoughness somewhere, somehow, if not from God, then from each other. If you're Luther back in the day, you might beat the heck out of yourself and starve yourself and be really nice, be really sorry trying to to get God's approval, prove yourself lovable, get God's justification. But if it's you, you might do not that, but improving yourself, you might make your life into one big pursuit of bigger bedrooms and better cars and smoother skin. If I just get the Tesla, the McMansion, and Botox, then I'll be enough. Or instead of beating yourself for your sins, you make it your life's work to blame others for them. I'm not enough because all my, if I am enough because all my faults are his faults. doesn't work. Or since social media is so super easy to pick on, do you know what approximately 19,994 of the 20,000 snaps that are posted every single second, every second, of every single day are? They are depressed, trapped people, mostly young, screaming, tell me I'm lovable and enough. Like me, thumbs up me, 
follow me and notice me so that I can go on, justify me, and approve my existence. That movie I mentioned before is not all a downer. It's better after the first 20 minutes. And the highlight of the film, the highlight of the film uh, does not actually Luther nailing those, not Bibles, but theses to the church door. That's kind of neat. It's not even when Luther stands before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, Charles V, at the Diet of Worms in 1521 and gives his famous, here I stand speech, although that is pretty cool. The highlight of the movie comes actually uh, at about the 30-minute point and a little conversation between Luther and his, his uh, superior, Staupitz. Staupitz is kind of his boss twice. And there's a scene in the movie where Staupitz has just had a, a church service where he's been unveiling all these relics before the, the common people. And a relic are as a, these kind of holy objects um, uh, that the people thought that by praying before them or bowing before them, venerating them, they could get time off of purgatory, time off of punishment. And they had lots of fancy ones in Wittenberg, like a, like a finger from St. Jerome. And uh, they had a, a, a morsel of bread from the Lord's Supper, a sliver of the, of the true cross, things of this sort. And the idea, again, was that by venerating these things, you get time off, off your punishment, or in, in our language, uh, they say there were ways to, to build up your enoughness, to get a bit of the approval, manage the disapproval that we're stuck in. And it might sound silly to us to think who in the world would, would bow to St. Jerome's pinky finger, but it's really no sillier than the bigger bedrooms, faster cards, smoother skin, more likes, silliness. We're trapped in. Anyway, this point in the movie, Luther's been studying the scriptures. He's, uh, he's been noticing its silliness more, the, the sadness, the doesn't workness of it all, the futility of it all. Then none of it finally springs the trap. And so he's present at this service that Staupitz is overseeing, but he leaves halfway through, which is a big no-no when your boss is, is leading the service. And so Staupitz calls him on it in his, in his study or whatever after the service and says, what in the world's going on? And Luther responds and says that that's all just a bunch of crutches, that stuff. And this leaves everybody hobbling along and never actually sets them free. And then it goes right to the heart. Right to the heart of the movie, the heart of the Reformation, the heart of the gospel, hopefully right to your heart. Staupitz says, he says, Brother Martin, if you take away all those things, those relics, all the supports, if you sweep away all these glorious things that you dismiss as crutches, that is all the things we're trapped in looking for approval in. He says, Brother Martin, what will you put in their place? And the film cuts to McGinnis' face, covers the, the whole screen, his face like flint. And he says, Christ, man needs only Jesus Christ. Brother Martin, what will you put in place of all the pilgrimages and beatings? Christ, who pilgrimed for me to the cross. Brother Martin, what will you put in place of all those dead relics? I'll put Christ who lives for me. What will you put in place of your mountain of sin, 
Christ who climbed Mount Calvary. What will you put in place of the half-hearted confessions, which they're always at best half-hearted? You will put Christ, who even now confesses you before his Father. What will you put in place of all the excuses you make for making your life such a mess? It's his fault or it's her fault. You'll put Christ. You'll own the mess and then you'll give it to Christ because he has paid dearly for it. What will you put in place of the McMansions, etc., that say you are an important person? You'll put Christ, who says you are his child. What will you put in place of the thumbs up and the likes and all the stuff that tells you you are enough and that you are seen? You will put Christ, who before there was a you to be seen, saw you, who sees you even now, who sees all the stuff you would never dare let anyone else see, and still likes you. What will you put in place of the trap? Christ, who sets you free, so that you are free indeed. You see how this works? It's how the gospel works. What will you put in place of all the stuff we put in place to tell me I'm enough, I'm safe, I'm lovable, I'm approved, I'm justified? Christ. And when everything else is swept away, goods, fame, child, and wife, Christ. Until your dying day, Christ and Christ again. And then on your rising day, Christ some more and Christ alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.